Ready? Born ready. <laughs> I think we just have a new opening for our podcast. <laughs> but for the diehards, uh, hi, James. Ben, how are you? I, I'm good. <laughs> I'm better now. I'm better, yeah. better after that greeting. Uh, anytime I can get you to laugh at anything I say, I know I'm doing all right. Oh, I find everything you say hilarious. <laughs> I walked into that. Um, cool. Uh, so, uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty good. Thanks. My parents just arrived in town. Oh, just in time to get an Apple watch. Uh, yes. Except for the fact that they're all sold out. Uh, oh, I thought, I thought your mom was flying in just to, just, just to get it. My mom is not convinced, Ben. We've already talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, unfortunately my Apple watch has not even shipped, uh, even though I ordered it, um, you know, right, right on the dot. Uh, my wife's meanwhile is, uh, will arrive on my parents' doorstep tomorrow, which, oh, wow. yeah, which is, which is, uh, I mean, I'm happy for her except that, uh, I mean, half, well, whatever I'm grumpy. I'm grumpy. I'm grumpy. About yeah, uh, you're about to, I could tell that was like, you, you <laughs> like, God damn, my wife gets an eye. No, no, no. Well, that always, that sounded really bad, but she, <laughs> she was, I mean, she was more lukewarm about it. I mean, she definitely was interested, but she's like, you know, Oh, you know, I don't know for sure if I'll use it, blah, blah, you know, wait to see yours. But I have told her I want her to get it for sure because, um, it drives her up the wall, but she's like my normal person, guinea pig. Like I, I, mm. it, it, she, she always catch me like observing her out the corner of my eye, like using her phone and like her computer. Cause I find it fascinating. Cause she just uses, she uses technology so differently than, than I, than I do. Um, and so she, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see, to see what utility finish you would get out of the watch. I can't imagine what it would be like to be like a, a, a real life ethnographic study all the time. I know it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be annoying. She sounds like a, a long suffering lady. <laughs> not, not very long suffering when she finds out. <laughs> All right, I'll have to edit that out. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, you you can't get an Apple Watch because, from what I understand, you are planning the big switch to to Android, so you can sign up for Google Fi. I was like, wait, I am? Am I really signing up for Android? When did I talk about signing up for Android? But I I will say, Fi is quite interesting. Uh, well, do you, so Google Fi is the, or Project Fi is, is what it is, is Google's new, new phone service. And it is an MVNO, which is a mobile virtual network operator. Uh, and that's different from an MNO, which is a mobile network operator, which uh, the, the big difference and the important difference is I'm sure we'll come back to this is the mobile network operator actually builds and operates and maintains all the infrastructure like all the mm. actual cellular antennas all the backhaul like all the sorts of stuff that actually make phones work and then they can rent out their capacity and capability to carry to carry this coverage to a mvno which which they basically rent the capacity and then they sell the service um to to end customers and it's it's branded by them, they handle all the customer service and all, all the different aspects of it. So there's quite a few MVNOs in 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 the states, but there's really um, four MNOs that matter. That's Verizon, AT and T, T-Mobile, and Sprint. There's other regional ones, um, but Google Fi, uh, Project Fi, is an MVNO that runs on T-Mobile and Sprint. And so that's the first thing that makes it interesting is that it's not just on one, which is the case for for other MVNOs. Which I assume gives them a somewhat of a edge in terms of coverage as opposed to just running on one of those two networks. Theoretically, um, the problem is in my experience, uh, Sprint and T-Mobile's coverage are both atrocious. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is one of those things where I'm sh- don't, don't email us about your coverage issues or not. <laughs> and the reason, the reason is it's, it totally depends depends on where you are right um that should be self-evident i mean uh like i know lots of people lots of my friends in seattle uh where i used to live have t-mobile service but t-mobile service is excellent there and by the way t-mobile is also headquartered there (laughs) i don't think it's an accident um whereas uh i got t-mobile last time i was in the states or last summer uh you know i tried out or you know general gear is being funny on twitter like you know give it a shot and like 
just awful. Like I lasted for like four days before I went back to 18, I went to the at t store. I'm like, <laughs> I don't care how bad you screwed me. I, last time I was with you because they did uh, give me a SIM card. Like, and, and uh, that, that, so sprint also doesn't have the greatest reputation. So we'll see if, if uh, we'll see if, what, what is the phrase from the old Google uh, Vic Gundracha when he used to be at Google um, at Turkey. And uh, we talked about Nokia and, and windows phone getting together. Two turkeys do not make an eagle. <laughs> in the immortal words of Vic Gundotra. Yeah, which is ironic because that's what Google's trying to put together right now. I had a similar experience with T-Mobile in Silicon Valley. I was like, all oh, these ads, the pricing's so good. And I tried it. And after two days of just not getting anything to work on my phone, I'm like, screw this. It's not working. Yeah, so it's it's the cellular industry is um, well. Let's go over Google Fi, then we'll talk about what why why that might be the case because it's actually really interesting. So, um, but the first feature is yeah, it works on T-Mobile and Sprint and Wi-Fi. Uh, one thing that Google's advertising as part of this is uh, they have like over a million trusted Wi-Fi hotspots around the country, um, and the phone will seamlessly hop between using Wi-Fi and using. T-Mobile and using Sprint for all its communications. So I'm yet to come across a phone that actually can do this properly. Like it is still one of the most frustrating things about using a phone. Like its ability to hop off a half, like a half working Wi-Fi network as you walk out of coverage and then you switch onto your cell network. It just, it's almost like... It's 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 worse than being on one of those uh, T-Mobile or Sprint networks in a bad coverage or any mobile network in a bad coverage area. Just the phone stops working altogether. Yeah. No. What I what I do is I just flick off Wi-Fi and flick it back on. And usually the signal's weak enough it won't reattach. I have the same problem. I have like a super high powered router, and I'll be halfway down the block and it'll be attaching to my home network, but will be basically worthless. I think mm. it's I think it's a relic of back when the iPhone came out, especially. Um, data service was slow. It was expensive. And once all the iPhones got on AT&T, like <laughs> not existent. Um, and so I think, uh, iOS particular, but I think, uh, Android as well built a really strong bias towards trying to connect to Wi-Fi. Mm. And it's almost like today now that, uh, now that seller service is more widespread and is faster and most people's plans have more capacity than before. I'd almost mm. wish like that bias got switched. Right. Whereas the phone would only connect to Wi-Fi if it had a really strong connection. And as soon as it got weak, it would just boom, go to go to cellular. Yeah, I, I have exactly the same issue. I mean, and, and these trusted Wi-Fi network hotspots, <clears throat> my, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm indexing on personal experience here, but it, it's they, they can be almost as unreliable as being halfway down the block on your own network. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. So, well, so it'll be interesting to see how it works. And the other thing, I mean, obviously, so one thing that's interesting about this service is Google is, it only works with one phone right now. And that's the, uh, the, the latest neck or a specific model of Google's Nexus phone. And so almost certainly Google has, has. Why is that? Well, did, because did I, I talk I, about it. Well, I, I, it's almost certainly to, to enable this sort of behavior. Like they're, they're doing custom tweaks and custom stuff to both. I'm sure both the software and hardware, building an integrated product, you'll note, uh, that manages this handoff in a much more intelligent way. Can I be a little bit more sinister and say that they're going to increase the bias even more heavily towards Wi-Fi? Uh, I would presume so because they're paying rent on on the cellular. They're right. Paying, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I, 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 would, I would assume so. Um, I think, though, what's interesting, what's interesting about this kind of from a... a structural perspective, there's a few things. So one, um, Google is clearly trying, what's interesting about having both carriers is Google's very much trying to uh, unbundle the carrier from the phone, if that makes sense. Like the idea of having your phone with one carrier has been invalid for, for a long time. And now the idea that Google's saying is, oh, the carrier is immaterial. It might even be Wi-Fi. There's no, you'll never know. You don't need to know. Um, and that's, you know, an obvious sort of strategic move. You know, com- you know, you want to make your compliments a commodity. Mm. Um, and that's clearly what they're what they're doing in this case. Yeah, it's interesting, and the way they're going about it, it it's funny because that's already started to. 
I, I almost feel that's starting to happen with iOS too, but in a very different way. I, I am now so used to calling people. So I, you start iMessaging people and I'm just so used to seeing the blue bubbles now. And I know if I have someone that's got the blue bubbles on their messages that rather than call them, I should just use FaceTime audio. Like the quality of the signal, the quality, the audio quality is that much better. But the funny thing about that is, uh, it's attached to your Apple ID, not necessarily just your phone number. So I, I can be overseas and it's, it's, it's seamless. Like I can still receive FaceTime video, FaceTime audio. It's like I haven't changed my phone, uh, my SIM card at all. Well, so that's the other interesting thing about, about this with Google is they're not just unbundling the carrier from your phone. Mm. They're also unbundling the phone number from the phone. So in the case of Google Fi, the uh, when when you sign up, it's not just that you can answer phone answer calls and text messages on your phone, and that phone can be on LTE or can be on Wi-Fi, and it doesn't matter. You can also answer messages and phone calls and everything else on your computer or right. in, on any browser anywhere on your tablet. Um, basically, what what this is actually Google Voice, like the full realization of Google Voice, which has been around for for. For quite a while, but it's again, it's 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 unbundling. In this case, the unbundling is from the hardware itself, and which makes total sense again for Google. Like Google is a cloud company; they're about the service layer, and they're trying to separate that service layer from the underlying hardware. Um, and w- which again makes makes sense for them. I find this super compelling personally, just because uh, Google Voice is really important to me personally. Like I have a, a Google Voice number, it's it's kind of complicated, but I have a Google Voice number that that rings, and I also have Skype, a Skype in and a Skype out number. Mm. So the Google Voice number rings my Skype number, which will then ring, and Skype has Skype out numbers like all over the world. So I I have my my cell phone in Taiwan connected. So if you call my U.S. Google Voice number, it actually rings my cell phone here in Taiwan. And then when I go to any other country in the world, I just buy a SIM card or go back to the US, just buy a SIM card and I plug in that number into Google Voice and I'm my 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 phone will ring. And then you also get the international text messages through Google Voice. So it's actually for me it's it's an amazing solution. I pay not very much. I pay for the Skype stuff. Um and I can be reached or reach anyone with the same number anywhere in the world. Mm. So the the promise to hold out is super compelling. And and they, they and also they will this plan includes international data and international. So international calls and texts are all free from anywhere. And then international data you also get, but it's capped at 256 uh, gigabytes per second or kilobytes per second. Sorry. Gigabytes would be awesome. Uh, 256 gigabytes per kilobytes per second, which is pretty slow, um, but usable. I mean, certainly, Mm. certainly usable. It's like low end 3g basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, super compelling. And, and the biggest problem with Google voice, especially on the iPhone is what it's totally separate from the phone. So like any default calling or text messaging, you have to go to like the app itself. I mean, this is a longstanding complaint about iOS, not having different defaults, but the other, the other problem is the Google voice application is awful. It's, it's, it's by far the worst app that I use regularly. Um, but the the convenience and power of the service for someone like me that travels a lot to multiple countries is super compelling. Yeah, it's interesting. I I've done the the Skype version of that uh, as well. I've never extended it to the Google Voice. Yeah, because the, the problem with the Skype doing just Skype is you can't text back and forth. Yeah, I I guess that's probably speaking to me. Uh, Skyping, well, sorry, text messaging mostly with people that have iMessage. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, unfortunately, I I have some. I, I unfortunately for both. Of you, um, uh, I, I do have, actually. The people. It's funny. The people that text me the most via my Google Voice number um, are all on Android. I think it's probably not an accident. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So that's interesting. And then the uh, and then the uh, and then the third thing is 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 price. Uh, it's twenty dollars for phone and text, uh, and then ten dollars per gigabyte after that. Uh, and what's interesting is it's that sounds really cheap, but actually, once you compare the actual cost, it's not really any cheaper at all. And when if you get into higher usage, higher data usage, like four or five gigabytes a month, which is where I sit, um, it's actually significantly more expensive than than other services, uh, which is which is kind of surprising if you think about it. They do have some niceties where data you don't use, you'll get a credit for the next month. So if you um, 
So that certainly is is something that's nice. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that's 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 Google, that's Google Fire. It's, it's interesting, right? Because it, it reminds me a little bit of um, a, a company that a friend used to work at called Republic Wireless that was heavily, I think it was started out in Boston and heavily advertised out there while I was at school there and then working there. And they they do a similar thing where they, uh, by providing people with um, uh, Wi-Fi access when they're at home, they offer they offer very um, aggressively priced cell phone plans. They obviously don't have um, they don't have the Google Voice integration that that um, we're talking about here with Fi. But like forty dollars a month for um, unlimited talking, texting, and data, uh, which on four G, which I think is like a really good deal. But it's the same thing again, where you have to use their handset to do it because I'm assuming that they very aggressively want you to use Wi Fi. You can't just walk out of the house, you know, turn off Wi Fi because the service isn't good enough. Yeah, no, exactly. And that, yeah, but it, inver- it inverts it. And that's also an MVNO, and so they're based on Sprint. Um, and yeah, it could be cheaper, but then you get into all these limitations, right? If you if you exceed five gigabytes of data twice during a six month period, you'll get throttled. Uh, you can't exceed twenty five megabytes of roaming cellular data. And again, you're on Sprint, <laughs> so you're yeah, probably right. going to need to roam. Um, but yeah, no, there, there's there's several MVNOs, and the Republic Wireless one is interesting um, as well, uh, and one of the most aggressively priced ones. I think what's interesting is I don't think it's an accident that most of these MVNOs. Um, it's I, I, I'm actually interested on the carrier perspective. Mm. Like you'll notice that Republic Wireless is on Sprint, Google is on uh, Sprint and T-Mobile, mm. and be like, "Oh man, this would be great if Google were like were on AT and T's network, for example, or Verizon's network." Um, and it's interesting to think about why they're not uh, on there. Um, and because if you talk, we talked about f- the problem for carriers is Google's trying to unbundle them, right? That's the whole thing. If you're using Google Fi you don't know if you're using T-Mobile or if you're using Sprint. It's immaterial. Like that's the ultimate in being a dumb pipe. You know, for mm-hmm. all these cases, if uh, MVNOs are making the MNO into a dumb pipe. Uh, Abs- abstracting it away, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's something that, that MNOs have traditionally fought against. Um, the thing though uh, about the, again, this is very US centric, I know, um, but uh, some of these principles hold broadly. Um in the U.S., I said there were four big ones, but there's not really four big ones. There's two big ones, and then there's two like midgets. And what I mean by that is both Verizon and AT&T have well over 100 million subscribers. Um, quite a bit more than that, I think. I don't have the latest numbers uh, in front of me, although I had in the daily update today. Um, whereas Sprint and T-Mobile are around like 50 million or something like mm. that. And the issue is that they're all four of them are allegedly national providers. Okay, so if you're going to be a national provider, you need to and have coverage over the same geographic area. You need to spend roughly the same amount of money in building out cellular towers and base stations and all that sort of stuff. The problem is, uh, if you will say 100 million to make it easy, and and 50 million and 50 million to you know, just for an, for an easy comparison. Um, if you have a hundred million subscribers and you're spending what a billion dollars, like that means you're spending $10 per subscriber to build out your network. You have 50 million subscribers and you're spending a billion dollars. You're spending $20 per customer. So like your unit, your per unit costs are much less competitive um, than if if you're smaller than than if you're bigger, right? It's not perfectly linear like that, though, right? Like uh, the so the, there are the base stations, but there's also the capacity on the base stations. There's the bandwidth, uh, and so on and so forth. So it's not quite as linear as that, but the principle holds true. Absolutely, right? absolutely. And this is a drastically simplified. In reality, the expenditures are massively huger, like to the hundreds of billions, stuff like that. And and the differences are bigger too. Verizon's 125 million, AT&T's 119, Sprint's 55, and T-Mobile's 53. So I mean, like we're, they're actually almost two and a half, you know, almost two and a half times as big. Mm. Um, and, but the 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 problem is it it doesn't necessarily it doesn't doesn't necessarily end up that you pay more each customer pays more on the little ones why are they cheaper they're cheaper uh, because 
the coverage is worse. Like that's another way to make up for it. Just spend less on base stations, right? And right. then you you have lower fixed costs, but then you have worse coverage, which means you're not as competitive for people who care about that sort of thing. So that's why you see T-Mobile and Sprint, like why T-Mobile get a hold of you because they advertise this low price, you know, all this great deal. Oh, it looks like so attractive. Well, they're doing that for one, because they can't compete on coverage. Mm. And two, they desperately need to get more people on their network to so they can be more competitive when it comes to these massive capital costs. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, if I was one of these guys, I would actually be willing to give up coverage because uh, I, I think a lot, there are a lot of people who would be willing to pay less if it meant that when you go out to some remote place, you don't have coverage. I think people can live with that. I think what gets people is when you're on the network and you have five bars of signal and data is just dreadfully, dreadfully slow. Like I'd be... That that's the one that kills me. Yeah, no, totally. But I mean, it's also more expensive to build in dense areas, and you know, mm, all that sort right. of stuff. Um, the the well, I think actually the best outcome would be for Sprint and T-Mobile to merge. Well, this uh, is kind of what's it's well, kind of what kind of. <laughs> well, they they tried to merge last year, yeah. and they were they were basically, for all intents and purposes, not allowed to. I didn't get to like a, a suit or anything, but like it was made clear that they weren't going to be allowed to for antitrust reasons or competitive mm. reasons. And I, this was a very disappointing decision from my perspective because the issue wasn't that the U.S. national market was going from four national carriers to three national carriers. It was actually going from two to three because Verizon and AT&T are so much bigger and so much more dominant that for all intents and purposes, it's more of a duopoly than it is a, a competitive market among four, four carriers. Yeah, I mean the the counter argument to that is that there are people who don't care about like high data speeds and also don't care about extensive coverage and by virtue of having these smaller providers there are going to be people out there who are desperate for business and who are going to make deals like the one that T-Mobile offer and you know like they might tempt people like us we try it and like throw our hands up in despair just because uh, our cell phones are probably so integral to our life but I'm sure there are plenty of other folks out there for whom that's just great and if if the if the merger had gone ahead my suspicion is that merged entity would have started to behave more like an AT&T and a, or and a Verizon than how they behave right now well perhaps but there would be more you know there would be more having three competing is better than two um mm. but yeah no it's possible there's there's lots of like I said there's also regional networks like where i'm from in the midwest us cellular is pretty big um, i think they're the fifth mm. biggest nationally but um I mean, there's <laughs> There's a lot wrong with the U.S. Uh, wireless network in general. We're getting far afield. What's interesting about this mm. Google thing is why that explains why Sprint and T-Mobile would be willing to be a dumb pipe. Like, why do they give this to Google? Why do they let Google basically totally abstract away what, which one you're on? And it's because, well, if Google can get 10 million customers that were on AT&T and Verizon, like that means Sprint and T-Mobile have five million more customers each, which means they can spread out their fixed costs better. They have like a better cash flow to make these capital investments. So the 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 bias between the big guys and the little guys is just fundamentally different. And that's why Google could, could get this deal with them. And that's why Google won't be on AT&T and Verizon. I mean, it's almost acknowledging the, the fact that they're, at com- they're almost at commodity status. And like that's the baseline and to to start to be able to charge a premium you need to be able to deliver a better experience which in the instance of a mobile network is like better speeds better coverage if you want a premium that's what you have to deliver and like sprint t-mobile that's the baseline they're being commoditized and this will this will only increase that but uh, from an individual perspective like yeah they'll take the act- the additional subscribers because for ex- for exactly the reasons you just stated yeah no exactly well, here's a question for you. I, I don't understand why people haven't come along and hmm, w- what about trying to put together something like this focused only on data? So there's $20 for service and maybe this is already covering the service. Maybe the voice is already subsidizing the data plans. But I wonder, like I, I actually think that Project Fi and the types of people it's targeting, which are probably going to be techies, they get Google Voice, they're going to be using Android devices. Why not just put a plan together that's data only and pipe the uh, pipe the um, uh, 
pipe Google Voice over the data side of things and then just say it's actually a free service and we'll charge you 10 bucks for every gigabyte of data that you use? That's an excellent question. Uh, so first off, it, I, I characterize this as Google Voice. Google's not calling it Google Voice. That's just my interpretation. But it's basically what Google Voice was promising to be, mm. just, just, to be just to be clear. Um, yeah. But two, I'm sure that's exactly what Google would like to do. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the... Given the way that it works, I wouldn't be surprised if all the voice service is VoIP as it is, is mm. voice over IP and the text as well. Um, but this is the limit of what I was talking about, where why would T-Mobile and AT&T or why would T-Mobile and Sprint do this deal? Because they're commodities. At the same time, they're not interested in destroying their own businesses, Right. The, so they ultimately determine the price that Google pays and the terms under which they pay it because Google has no leverage. Like Google doesn't own any cell phone towers. Uh, Sprint and T-Mobile do. And so, yeah, they will take Google's customers, but they're not going to destroy their own businesses in the process. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a very good point. I, I wondered about this out loud with a friend, and I can't remember the numbers, but because it, it was two or three years ago. But I was looking at the MVNO prices for uh, when LTE first kind of came out, and I don't know whether it was because I can't even remember whether it was AT and T or Verizon, but one of them, the 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 prices to MVNO data over LTE were substantially lower than what I thought. And I was like, well, wouldn't that be interesting to put together an MVNO that was just focused on on LTE data and scrap the voice service altogether? And I, I think I'll, there are a lot of tech people that would be totally up for doing that. Right, but why are Sprint and T-Mobile going to sign a deal that lets you do that, right? I, I, yeah. I, would, I would bet I'm almost certain, um, and I'm not that I know anything, just thinking about it, that that $20 fee is is insisted on by T-Mobile and Sprint. Yeah, it's it's you can have free text or, well, yeah, no, 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 you take the voice like we don't, well, actually, your point is that it's all VoIP anyway, right? I, 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 I no, I, I have no idea. I'm guessing it is, mm. but even if it is voice and text, like that's trivial, like the marginal cost is zero for all intents and purposes. Like right. I, I, I would bet that the cost of entry, T-Mobile and Sprint are like, sure, Google will do it, but $20 up front. And then you can do your $10 a gigabyte thing. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the reason, and it's interesting here. I, I saw someone, I've seen several people on Twitter saying, oh, you know, it's just like Google Fiber. Actually, it's not. The reason why Google Fiber is more compelling and interesting than Google Fi, in my estimation, is that Google is actually laying down fiber. Like the, 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 when they say Google Fiber, it's actually fiber. Um, and it's, it's funny, like, this is called project Phi, like it's like half of fiber. And in the same respect, it's kind of the same thing. It's a half ass effort relative to Google fiber. Like they are the reason why Google fiber is actually causing changes in ISPs. Like there's this like great example, like Google announced they're going to go to Charlotte, North Carolina. And like the next day, Time Warner announced that, oh, your speeds are now six times faster for free. Oh. Oh, it happened in, I, I read about that in San Francisco recently too, the Bay Area. Fiber comes to the Bay Area and suddenly Comcast is is rolling out these massively increased speeds. Right, exactly. And But the reason why that's happening is because Google actually has leverage and the leverage is the the they're spending a lot of money to actually build this out. Mm. And in there, and People are like, oh, Google's going to change cellular. It's going to cause all these differences. It's not going to change anything unless Google actually wants to spend the money to build up the sort of leverage to do it. And frankly, I don't think that realistically can happen because it's not just the infrastructure of the base stations and, and the backhaul and all that sort of stuff, which Google could handle. It's Spectrum, which is super expensive. Um, they actually likely have to buy uh T-Mobile or Sprint or Dish Network, which has a ton of extra spectrum, uh, if they're actually serious about changing the U.S. mobile network, the only or mobile, uh, yeah, yeah market, totally. I, I mean, the only, the only. So I'm I'm thinking about this from a strategy perspective, and uh, shoot me down if technically this doesn't make sense. But I wonder if the vector for this is actually to 
get more phones relying or get people to start relying on Wi-Fi. And if you're rolling out, if you're responsible for rolling out fiber all over cities, uh, it's not that much of a stretch to then say, well, we've got the fiber rolled out. What happens if we look into rolling out, instead of rolling out a mobile network based on um, based on traditional cellular technology, what about rolling out a network for mobile phones based on Wi-Fi, leveraging the fact that we've got fiber everywhere? That's interesting. I mean, I, I think, uh, again, there, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, it, it's funny. It, it's almost like a, it's a very Google-esque, like, we're not going to get fancy about this. We're just going to solve it by brute force <laughs> sort right. of thing. Because I mean, Wi-Fi is not very, it's not that efficient. Like, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, go very far. Um, mm. It's hard to be reliable just on Wi-Fi. Um, you'd have to have just like Wi-Fi space stations everywhere. But didn't um, they, um, haven't they done this for Mountain View? Uh, I think so. Uh, but I don't know. I, I've been in cities and actually Taipei is a city that's covered by Wi-Fi and mm. it just, uh, it it's not very reliable. Like it, it's really affected by buildings and concrete and stuff like that. Um, mm. That cellular signals cut through much, much more easily. Uh, maybe it, it's it's certainly intriguing, and I think your broader point that uh, any change that Google makes ultimately has to be driven by their infrastructure spending because that's what yeah. gives them leverage is is absolutely is absolutely correct. So I mean, I think this service sounds super cool, but I think we're both. Well, I won't speak for you, but I'm pretty bearish on it. Um, one, it's just really not that much cheaper. Uh, mm. Two, it's only one phone. Um, which and I think people like to choose their phones, it's not, and it's not it's not an iPhone. Yeah. Uh, and three, there's no offline distribution. There's no like stores. There's no places to go and check it out. And as we've seen with Google and Nexus already, uh, that is a significant barrier. Like people don't change their habits very often or very frequently. Like every MVNO has had to open up stores to have had a chance of success. That's just the way people buy cellular service in in America. Yeah, I, I I concur with your assessment. That being said, like it's interesting to think it could be a vector to be doing something else. And you, I I don't know. When it comes to Google, I can't help but wonder whether they've thought about this. Like launch gently doing this and slowly creep, and maybe maybe there's a there's a longer play. Yeah, and like honestly, I mean, Google Fiber has has gone farther than I than I expected it to. Um, you know, I mean, they 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 keep rolling it out uh, and. I don't know. It's interesting. Like Google Fiber fills me with with, with such mixed feelings. Um, on the one hand, uh, it's it is it does change ISP behavior. Like it's amazing what competition does to to improve the situation, right? Like <laughs> who would have thought it? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like it's obvious, but like, and it's funny because uh, and it also kind of gives the lie to the idea that that I've said regularly that like it's not realistic for another broadband provider to come along and using that as a justification for government regulation um like google is actually building out another network like which we said would be done and they keep doing it even though kept thinking well they'll stop at some point um on the so all and that's good things right like Mm, um totally uh but I, i don't know just the whole like giving like having Google provide my internet service. Uh, like I, 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 I'm not sure that Google given Comcast reach and power would be that much better of a landlord. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I concur as a, in fact, you'd, you'd almost expect the, 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 um, the company without the advertising business to be potentially a better landlord in general, though, I think, um, uh, I think m- more competition is uh, is better. And I had another point, and I just completely blanked. Yeah, well, I mean, there's the thing like I, like Verizon was like putting like super cookies on people. Yeah, right? like, that's and true. So I mean, like the, the ISPs aren't exactly good actors here. I mean, what it, it's there's no there's no good actors here. And um, hey, I mean, Google Fiber, it's it's you uh, you know, you know what. It, you know what it did reveal? It revealed an interesting. It, I remember a, a point at which. Uh, so Google's obviously been a, a reasonably big proponent of net neutrality. Uh, they have a they have a policy team that are big behind it. But what was interesting mi- mi- to me, mi- mildly big. They didn't really yeah, put a lot of weight yeah, behind it. That's true. And uh, but what's interesting is like 
what well, now they're in fiber they're they're like part of the terms and conditions is you can't use it as a business service like they're tiering they're tiering uh personal versus business type services and it's kind of it's like, hang on, guys, like you like the idea of net neutrality until you roll out a fiber network and then all of a sudden you do want to know what's going over the pipes, right? Interesting. It, it, yeah, it, I mean, is that a violation of net neutrality? It's interesting. I didn't, one, I didn't know that that was the case. Two, um, why, why, why is that, do you think? Well, because they want to be able to charge more for it. Like yeah, they want to be able so. to tier the pricing and to be able to do that, they need to know what's going on down there. But and so there are instances where people were hosting. I'm going to have to dig this up and make sure I'm correct. And it, again, it, this was also this happened if I remember a couple of years back. And I don't know if their policy has evolved, but it was funny to see Google acting in a way that they'd decried for so long before they decided to get into the infrastructure business. Yeah, um, that's. I mean, you can also spin the other way. I, I would. So it, it sounds like someone was like hosting like a website or hosting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean that—that's the burden you're putting on the network is. Uh, that's know. true, but like, why not come up with a pricing structure that it, it shouldn't? Again, it shouldn't matter what goes over the network. It shouldn't matter. Google shouldn't need to peer down and decide. Oh, this is an appropriate business purpose. This is an appropriate personal purpose. You're just like, okay, this is the pricing. Use it how you want. Like that's the kind of behavior you'd expect given the rhetoric previously, at least. Yeah. Interesting. Um, they do say if you work from home, you home-based businesses can use it, but yeah, you have to th- read through and comply with terms of services. Interesting. Well, yeah, it, 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 principles are always easy until they actually impact your business. Ah, uh, yes, so true, so true. So uh, it, it, it's 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 to follow. I mean, good on Google for trying to shake stuff up. I just I, I'm not. Uh, to me, like they're they're Project Fi given the fact that Google actually doesn't have any real skin in the game is, is constrained, but maybe they are building towards something bigger and it's, it's, it's interesting to watch. Hmm. It will be interesting to watch. So yeah, especially there. So, I mean, the other thing that I'm, I'm, it, it, everyone's always assumed fiber and Fi is to drive more internet usage. Google makes more money from the internet, blah, blah, blah. Like, do you th- do you think they might view this someday as like a real actual moneymaker? That's a really interesting question. I mean, the cost of rolling out this, this isn't. I I don't understand the economics super well, so I'm going to shoot from the hip here. But it, it's one thing to say we're going to have a centralized team creating an operating system that we can roll out to the world to enable like effectively and we've talked about whether it was that they necessarily did it in the best way or not but it's one thing to like create a blueprint an open source blueprint for an operating system and release it to the world to enable hardware manufacturers to make lots of phones to encourage internet usage that feels like a highly scalable model uh going that that's that's the air war going down the ground war trench by trench of laying fiber to every home in the United States does not feel like a highly scalable activity. And you've got to think that if they're not planning, I mean, that's a, it's a, (laughs) that's a, uh, it's a very long, hard, expensive road to just get more people on the internet. Yeah. I mean, Comcast has a profit margin of like 10.86%. Right. Which I mean is pretty good for an infrastructure provider, but uh, not good for a software company. Uh, oh, not even right. remotely, not even remotely good. Their absolute profit numbers were 1.99 billion, uh, which gives you which revenue 16.84 billion, which gives you an idea of like it, it's uh, it's a very um, actually that, that, those margins are higher. I must be looking at two two slightly different numbers. But uh, Google's profit was uh, 3.59 billion just reported, uh, and their revenue was 17.3 billion. So similar revenue to Comcast, but about double the profit. Uh, slightly, slightly less than double the profit. So it's interesting. I mean, Comcast is actually better than you might expect for again for an infrastructure provider. But I don't know. I mean, I, I I've always presumed there's no way they would actually be building this to make money. But like they and that, so I presume they would, they wouldn't. But they keep building it, right? Like they they keep pushing right. it forward. 
And, and and so those Comcast numbers are they yes it's an infrastructure provider but what you're what you're not mentioning is the fact that they're in often in many instances a, a monopolistic infrastructure provider. That's very true. And, and you add Google into the mix, those numbers are not going to get better for either party. Yep, that's exactly right. They're going to go down. Oh, it's interesting. The, the other thing that's interesting from this week though was Facebook started tweaking its algorithm, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, they're reprioritizing like updates from friends and people you care about, uh, allegedly deprioritizing um, some some outside links, particularly links where your friends have commented or shared on them or mm. commented or liked them. So it, that'll be less of a signal like what your friends like, uh, which it's interesting because they a couple years ago, like they make algorithm changes all the time, but their last really big one that had a big effect was, uh, was a couple years ago. And that was to add that stuff in. Uh, and so it's interesting that they're, they're changing it around. I've heard maybe it's cause numbers are down, sharing's down. Um, hmm. That's interesting. Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe, but the other thing is like, maybe like, what is Facebook? What, what, what makes Facebook unique? What makes Facebook powerful? Like what, what, what is Facebook's moat? Right. Is Facebook's moat, it certainly used to be and was built on being the network that your friends and family were on and friends sharing and stuff like that. Is that, is that still the case? Like in many respects, uh, when people would write all the stories, oh, Snapchat's stealing Facebook's users or blah, blah, blah. Like I would always, like the reason why I've, I've never been bothered by that is one, I feel like we are social people and we communicate in a myriad of ways. And it's only natural that there'd be a myriad of services to, to fit those myriad of ways. One. And then two, to me, what makes Facebook powerful is less the day to day sharing and more the fact that everyone has to be on Facebook. You have no, it's like the email address of the modern age, right? You, you, that's the way to connect and be connected. And, and combine that with the fact that in mobile to make money, you can't track people with cookies anymore. Like you need to track like the actual individual person and Facebook's better place to do that. Like if you're the Rolodex, of the internet, that's a pretty good place to start from for, for tracking people for, for advertising purposes. Uh, like that's Hardly. to me is what makes them powerful and why I'm so bullish on them and consistently bullish on them. Less about the actual like use of Facebook. Well, I mean the, 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 we're talking about we're talking about slightly different things. I think your point around having the identity of most everyone on the internet is is a really well made point. I think the and I think that is definitely it, it may be a, a ring of moats. I think that one is is a pretty core one. I think the next thing out is engagement levels, and uh, we see engagement levels dropping. The the thing about them, though, is like when you think about engagement on Facebook, you can't just think about Facebook.com or Facebook the app. They also have they have Instagram, they have WhatsApp, they have a whole bunch of other players. And and this idea that you start with the identity of everybody and then you start buying services where you see huge engagement and you use that to start to build up a really p- accurate picture of uh who people are, like a, an amazingly accurate picture of who they are, what they're doing, what they like, who they're talking to. Um, and it doesn't just have to be on facebook.com, though obviously that's, I mean, they want to keep tweaking that algorithm to drive engagement, but there are a whole lot of other places where they can data match as they keep buying and expanding these properties. Yeah, and to be clear, engagement is still going up. I mean, last quarter, they just announced the results yesterday. Uh, the daily average user as percentage of, monthly average users up to 65%. It was 63% or 64% last quarter. And it's been going up for a few years now. Like th- this, at, this is the biggest thing to be a bull about Facebook. It's not just that they keep adding users. Like they are like, they're still growing. They're growing at pretty much the same rate. They've been growing for like the last four years, like, which is incredible. Like given how big they are, uh, everyone keeps waiting them for like to saturate the world. And they're just not, they're not. Uh, so one, they're growing their user base and two, their user base is deepening its engagement like quarter after quarter after quarter. So they're, they're clearly, I guess that's what makes me so curious about this change is yeah, it, all the signals that they're reporting in their financial reports seem to suggest that everything is going quite well. So is there like, so one, is there something we don't know about? 
is, is there some engagement metric, whether it be like number of shares, whether it be like something along those lines that is going down and there, it hasn't shown up in the actual results, but they're concerned about it. Um, and if they're reporting daily active users, that's a pretty sensitive metric, right? You think you would probably pick up pretty quickly if people aren't, it's, it's like monthly active users. It's like, oh, wait, you did it once a month. Is that really so impressive? Like if you're logging in every single day, that's, that's pretty good. Um, uh, so is one, is this thing we don't know about or two, like, I, I almost feel like Facebook is approaching a really kind of existential, existential decision point. Like, are they the network or are they the front door to the internet? Like for a lot of people, they're both right now, but like, it's almost like they have to, like, they've their big mission, they've accomplished it. They are the Rolodex for everyone. And they've also picked up this new job where they're people's front door on mobile. People on mobile, the way they access a huge number of things on the internet is through Facebook. The question is, do they want to change? Their, do they want to focus on that? Like what potential might there be to be the default face of the internet for 1.5 billion people. So so the the question that I would ask you is it, it sounds like the way you're setting this up is that there's a there's a conflict in those two priorities is that the case? I I wonder I I'm I don't know. I'm I'm that's what I was trying to explore in my article this week. I mean because to me there's it's risky. Like the risk in like focusing on being the front door is you start in that case you actually focus more on news. You focus more on BuzzFeed type folks, like just like you want to get the absolute most engaging stuff that plugs people in. Right. Right. And the benefit to that is if everyone is stopping by Facebook or starting on Facebook, like you have a big reason why advertising has stuck on TV for so long, even though the attention to TV is going down, is that TV is easy for advertisers. It is the easiest, most efficient way to reach a broad base of people, period. Like the internet gives you way better targeting and all this and measurement and stuff, but it's, you, 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 you can't spend enough, right? If you want to reach a ton of people, it's a ton of work to go, go on Pinterest, go on Twitter, go on Google, go on blah, blah, blah. And so they just spend on TV. You can imagine a world where it, a advertiser can confidently shift that money to Facebook, knowing they're reaching a huge base of people. They're getting way better targeting. They're getting way better measurement. And Facebook ends up, I, I I feel that money is moving from TV to digital sometime soon. Mm. I can envision a world where Facebook captures the lion's share of it. And they're a one-stop shop for brand advertisers. We'll take care of all your needs. We'll like on the call yesterday, Cheryl Sandberg had an example of, of a movie preview. Like, Oh, so they did a video preview on Instagram and then they retargeted people after the movie came out on Facebook like that. Think about that. That's, that's super compelling. Right. And then Facebook actually is building up the infrastructure where they can track if if you go buy that movie ticket, they will know. Right. They're integrating with all the credit card processing, tracking firms, all that sort of stuff. So they can track from that initial impression on Instagram all the way back through to you seeing that movie and how value if you can go there and just do that with Facebook. Why would you even bother to go to Twitter? Why would you even bother to go to Pinterest? Why would you even bother going anywhere else to spend all your money there? No, I, I agree. I guess. um I guess what's interesting is to draw out a little bit more the the conflict because ultimately isn't regardless of whether it's news about your friends or uh, news that your f- friends like or an article or a BuzzFeed article that your friends like, does it really matter what that is as long as they it's the most engaging thing that's possible? Well, that's what's interesting is if you want to pursue the strategy, exactly right. You want to do the most engaging thing possible. But that I can envision a scenario where that actually draws you further and further away from being a social network, from being the place where you interact with your friends, where you post your baby pictures, where you do all the stuff that we normally associate with Facebook. And and my I'm curious as to whether Facebook is facing this sort of existential question. Do are we a social network or are we too big for that now? And we have this bigger prize to to go after. And especially, and that puts the sort of things with uh, with Snapchat peeling users away, with messaging services peeling users away in an interesting context because the reality is in many respects that's already happening. Facebook is your kind of, for most people, Facebook is their homepage, but their actual communications channel that is meaningful is is increasingly somewhere else. 
Ja. I, I mean, I wonder whether one solution might be to give people an option. I mean, me, me, I've just, I'm again shooting from the hip here, but maybe there's a, maybe there's a part of Facebook where you go and it's exclusively finding out about what's happening with your friends. And maybe there's a part of it, which is like, okay, tell me what's happening. That's interesting on the internet. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's part of the peeling off of messenger is, is part of that, right? That's, that's for the communication. And then Facebook is, is something different, but I mean, it, it, the Facebook product is super compelling, but it's, it's, I can't imagine, a, I, I, mean, I can, but it's got to be one of the most difficult products in the world to think about from a product manager perspective. Uh, I mean, fortunately, Mark Zuckerberg is a product manager and he's pretty good at his job. But like, as I wrote about in the article here in Asia, for example, um, in most of the countries I visited, especially in Taiwan, like, if you blog, you blog on Facebook. Like it's all. It used to be a big blogging scene here. Now it's all on Facebook, and you like people and you follow people. And a huge part of my wife of my wife's timeline, for example, is by ethnographic study. It's 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 basically blog posts of like well known bloggers or celebrities stuff like that. If you're a small business, you uh you have a Facebook page. Uh, it's so much easier than and cheaper, and that's not you know, and people can access it much more easily and search for it and find you more easily. And it works on mobile in a way that websites don't. If you're, if you're in a business meeting here at the end of the meeting, the expectation is you, you, you share friend requests and now you're connected on Facebook. Like it's LinkedIn, right? And you see this in lots mm. of countries where there's Facebook and something else. And like Facebook ends up being this Swiss army knife that does all this sorts of important stuff to people. And that's really good. It's interesting. I think that's great for Facebook if Facebook wants to drive engagement and wants to be the center of where people live. But that feels like it's at odds with being the place where you communicate and connect with the people closest to you. Yeah, it, this it's it's causing me to think about a couple of things. The first thing this this conversation is causing me to think about is the conversation we had a couple of episodes back about uh, Facebook natively hosting content. And it certainly puts in perspective the uh, the extent to which publishers are really reliant on. I mean, this this if the characterization as you've described as like what's what's happening on the internet or what's newsworthy versus what's happening with my friends. If if that's a existential struggle going on inside of Facebook. You can think of the massive ramifications that all the publishers like the New York Times and even BuzzFeed standing around on the periphery, like the impact that's going to have as they try and figure this out. Absolutely. And the big question is, there's two questions. One, what will Facebook choose? But two, does Facebook have a choice? Like I kind of feels like to me as someone not in the company and I'm not Mark Zuckerberg and I haven't committed my life to enabling people to share and connect and all the other stuff that no, but like by all accounts, like he's exceptionally sincere about that. And he's very mission driven and not, you know, that's, that's his focus. The question, like what happens though, when he, if his focus and mission diverge from what's optimal for optimal for Facebook strategically and as a company, because the reality increasingly seems that Facebook is becoming people's front door to the internet and something else is becoming people's connection to their friends. And that's not necessarily a bad thing for Facebook. Like I said, arguably the potential from a business perspective of being the front of the internet is greater. Mm, that's true. But that, that social graph, I mean, if you had to pick the most valuable thing inside of uh, maybe, maybe this is an outmoded assumption. Maybe this is something that I, I just assumed three years back and haven't revisited, but that social graph is so powerful. Sure, but 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 is it is it enough just to? I mean, if you're connected to people, if you're, is it enough to know who people are connected to, right? If I'm connected to you, and then Facebook's getting the signal because it's Facebook. Facebook is the front door for you as well. Um, and again, a lot of people listening to this, Facebook's not the case for them. Uh, get this is an area I think where technologists struggle with Facebook because I think we tend to use it differently than than most people. The numbers certainly support that like for example facebook for social share facebook has like some ridiculous like 80 percent or something or 75 percent uh guess how much twitter has oh i i don't know no less, idea less than one percent 
Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, like every, all the techies are on Twitter. And it, like if you wanted a perfect example of how it's easy to get out of touch with the way that normal people actually use the Internet, uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty killer example. Uh, yeah, no, that is a killer example. I just I mean, that the, the risk is that someone else builds a better social graph, right? Like if, if people are connecting with their friends in other places, then that social graph starts to emerge in other places. And, and someone else has a more accurate view of who's connected to who. Yeah, that's true. And by the way, Twitter's 3%, not less than 1%. Um, sorry, yeah. Twitter. Uh, sorry, sorry in all meanings of the word um, for getting it wrong and that you're only 3%. Uh, no, that's, that, that's, I think that's the point. That's why it's also an interesting strategic question is, is it enough just to have people's connection? And because you think about it in some respects, this opportunity I'm painting sounds a little bit like Yahoo, right? I mean, Yahoo still has uh, a, a huge population. I think they're, I think they're the fourth biggest site on the internet still like in just tens, if not hundreds of millions of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem, but it's, that's not worth like just attention by itself isn't enough, right? Because they just end up serving a bunch of undifferentiated right, ads. ads. Uh, the The question, though, is would Facebook, what would make Facebook different than that? Uh, and having the identity, being able to track people, like Yahoo like gave up identity a long time ago. Like that's a big, one of the biggest mistakes made under Carol Barch was they let people sign in with Facebook and, and Google. Like just ridiculous. Uh, yeah. So actually your framing like that makes me think identity is critical because you think about the broader efforts around the organization, things like Atlas, where they're going to start tracking people even in the real world, they're going to continue to buy other properties like Instagram. Like the foundation for the differentiated advertising is having the best social graph, is having all that identity data. Well, it's I. Well, but the, is identity and social graph the same thing? Mm-hmm. I mean, so a few things. So one, I think Facebook is so dominant when it comes to identity, and especially when it comes to being able to track mm-hmm. that identity around the internet, right? Like, yeah. So number one, number two, like, I don't know, like, is, is someone in part of that identity is the social graph that Facebook already has, and it's already better than anyone else's. And as long as everyone still needs to have Facebook, even if they like, is it the actual, like, is, is my talking to you in chat really so much more valuable than just the fact that I've acknowledged that I know you and we are both busy uh, showing what we're interested in on Facebook. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like there's still a social graph there, even if they focus on this sort of engagement front door of the internet angle. Like it's not like it's a binary sort of thing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I it's true. I, it, 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 again, from an advertising perspective though, uh, and you think about one of the things that drives people to, uh, that drives people to adopt products is if they see a friend or colleague liking a service or engaging with a service or someone says something good about a service and that that's only made possible through the social graph but maybe that's maybe like but, but, but my to- point is my point is like in the fa- in the state of sorry I just interrupted you in the state of Facebook's evolution they've like like we I think we talked about Instagram before right Instagram hmm. started with filters but what makes it valuable is the network right what's interesting about Facebook is like they've mastered the network. What comes after that? Like you and I are already on Facebook. We're already connected. And that's the case for two, two out of every three Americans. And probably the ones that aren't are either a too old or B too young. And they will be on it when they get there. Like could they leverage the network into something even bigger? Like, and what is even bigger? It's like the internet itself, isn't it? Yeah. I I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I don't feel. I mean, there is there are times at which these choices, and maybe I'm maybe I'm unfairly characterizing this, but there are there are times when those choices are life and death. Whereas I feel like either of the two options are probably both solid options for the company. And yeah, maybe one may end up working out may end up working out better. But I don't feel like this is a make or break decision. It's it feels like a nice decision to be forced to make. Yeah, it is interesting to wonder. I kind of think that habits, I think habits are more of a moat than than 
people think. Like it mm. seems like, oh, I can just uh, someone someone could just get sick of Facebook, go do something else. But like, there's the the when you're in a groove and used to doing something, like you usually need a very negative like hygiene factor to switch, right? Like where something very distasteful and awful happens uh, that makes you change the way you actually do things, mm. you know. Whereas, so even though like there's no like technical moat or preventing people from not going to Facebook all the time. Uh, I think that's, that's stronger than I think most people appreciate. Um, even, you know, maybe just as strong as seeing pictures of my sister's baby or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, 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 and maybe a few other techies, experienced that feeling of the hygiene factor when some of that privacy stuff first came out a couple of years back the actual facebook graph searches or whatever just kind of creeped me out a little bit and i i found myself i turned it off for six months and it was actually quite refreshing but ironically enough i replaced it almost entirely with instagram and (laughs) (laughs) yeah there you go they they got me they got me anyway you are the fastest favorite on instagram that's for sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I hope my boss isn't listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 yeah, it, it's well. The other thing that's so compelling about Instagram is like the the inevitable ad unit on Instagram is like such a perfect match for like the Facebook ad unit. Like yeah. again, it gets back to the like a one stop shop for advertisers, like in a, just a compelling service. Mm. Interesting. All right, I should let you go. Okay, sounds good. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, mate. See ya.